Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that we're here and we have more blessings than we can count. We're thankful that you have chosen to give us life in your Son, Jesus. We're thankful that an offer has just even been made, let alone that you brought us to understand and receive this good news. But the fact that there is good news is, gives us much to be thankful for. God, we thank you that we can come and sing this song on this day and remind ourselves of what really matters. Because all week we've been flooded with everything else. We've been flooded with people winning medals at the age of 16 and 19 and winning 20-some medals. And we might be tempted to think that's what matters. God, we've been going to work all week thinking that the accumulation of stuff and money might be what matters. And we see shootings on the news and even one this morning and we think, God, being safe and not having any accidents or any health concerns, that's what matters. And then we come here into the the sanctuary of God, into the temple of our God that is now found in the people of God who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And we realize that what matters is only You and what You have done for us. We say thank You. For all of eternity, we will say thank You. For all of eternity, we will never cease to give praise to You. For You are what matters. God, we pray for those that went to a religious service this morning and there was a shooting in Milwaukee and seven are left dead. We pray for their families. We pray for that assembly of people that God worships a different God. They don't worship the one true God. And we pray that they would. We pray that you would use this horrible tragedy to draw them to you. God, we pray for those who are even now sitting under the preaching of your word in other parts of the world. That God, you would send your word forth and you would let it stick in hearts. And that those seeds would germinate. And that fruit would come up. And disciples were, would be born, reborn. And that the kingdom would go forward and would be ever increasing. God, we pray for Cole Brown, who will preach later this evening in North Portland at Emmaus Church. God, we pray for him. We pray that you would strengthen his body and sustain him. That you would allow your word to go forth in that community, to that local assembly of believers as they are gathered. That God, you would bless your word. That you would allow there to be much fruit. And that the body would be strengthened and encouraged. That people in that 
neighborhood there uh, around MLK that, God, you would, you would save people, that they would come to know Jesus through the preaching of your word tonight in a school at Emmaus Church. We pray that you be with our brothers and sisters who are not with us today. Those who are visiting uh, friends and family or they're out of town on business. God, be with them. Bring them home safely. We pray that you would meet them spiritually today. That God, you would be their satisfaction and their food. God, we pray for that here today. That you would, as we study a very difficult passage and a very difficult doctrine, learning about you and very difficult ways that God, we, we think biblically and we come to the scriptures wanting to know more of our God and not with an agenda, not with our, our own thoughts, but we come wanting to hear from you, wanting to be taught, wanting to be uh, strengthened and encouraged in what you have already begun, this work in us that the Spirit attests to called new life, salvation. And for that, we just saying we are thankful. So God be with us, meet with us, as we promise you will. We pray that your word would go forth and it would prosper. And we would be strengthened in our faith as we see fruit and evidence of your word being enacted in the lives of people here today, believers and unbelievers. We pray to the glory of our Father God that Your will be done through the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, that grants us access to You. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> Revelation 19, if you're there, we're going to read verses 1-8. through 8. So follow along with me in your copy of Scripture. If you don't have one, uh, there's several out there on the table out in the lobby. Uh, we'd be more than happy to someone get you one. Uh, there's plenty out there. So follow along as I read Revelation chapter 19 in verse number 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
So I mentioned that this is a difficult passage. You might be reading, this is wonderful. You have a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. And they are praising God. This is a wonderful passage. And it is. But it's difficult. Because after this is the first two words of chapter 19. As our friend Eric Nyborg said last week, it'd be like having a therefore. We need to find out what just happened, that this is the proclamation that follows. So chapters 17 and 18. Chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. And then John is ushered into the wilderness and he sees what's about to take place in these next two chapters. And it's the destruction of Babylon. And Babylon, every time it's seen in the book of Revelation, uh, six times is always uh, as an image or a metaphor for a city or corrupt people to its height. I mean, it's like heightened wickedness is this Babylon. And so this destruction of Babylon has just happened in chapters 17 and 18. As we're nearing the end of the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is full of images and full of apocalyptic language that sometimes can be so confusing we just want to stay clear of it. We just want somebody else with charts and graphs to tell us what it means because we just think we cannot simply understand it. And sometimes we get lost in the images and what does this mean of, of a person doing this and this bowls and trumpets and vials and what could it possibly mean? And so we come to chapter 19 and we've just read that this word Babylon stands for wickedness and corruptness and people who are full of wickedness and desiring to teach other people and lead other people into great schemes of wickedness. We just realize that they've all been destroyed and that God in his wrath has wiped them out as laid them to waste. Verse 20 of chapter 18 tells us, commands us, rejoice over her. Refers to this Babylon as a her. It's in chapter 19, a great prostitute. One, because of the image of deceiving and of alluring. The sin is enticing. and The wickedness is attractive. The wickedness is something also which uh, could even be of the type that you don't speak of. We don't tell other people of. And So this wickedness has been destroyed. We are to rejoice over her, O heaven. It's been destroyed. Rejoice over her. And you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. So John opens up in chapter 19. After this, this is what has just happened. Destruction. God has just poured out his wrath. After this, I hear what seems to be a choir of people singing and crying out, Hallelujah. Literally, they are crying out, Praise be to God. Praise Yahweh. You might be thinking this is somewhat of a strange passage. We're talking about a God who is just in this chapter here in Revelation 19 when I thought that this was a mini-series on prayer. And I don't see praying happening happening in this passage. We've been talking about praying 
as we came from the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer, we said we were going to take a brief mini vacation and talk about praying. And we were going to talk about it from the perspective of the character of God. How does the character of God fuel our praying? How does it change how we pray? How does it inform what we're praying? And so we want to learn more of the character of God. So when we hear of a God who is faithful, we pray to a faithful God. We are comforted. We are strengthened. Uh, When we pray to a God who is gracious or a God who is uh, persevering, a God who will keep his promises to us, that changes how we pray. If we prayed to a God and his character was one who is whimsical and one who is silly and laughed a lot, that would change how we prayed. Do you understand? And so we want to learn more about who is this God that we're praying to. That will change how we pray and that will help us when we pray to not, not just say the right words, but that will help us when we are struggling. We're human beings and we're struggling. We're living under the curse of the fall still and will be until this happens. And so we are struggling and we're struggling because hopefully we're struggling because we're believers and living in a world of unbelievers, non-Christians who are, our worldviews are completely different and they should be. We're Christians living in a non-Christian society and we're struggling with that. And there's this tension, I hope. I hope there's a tension of I want to do right, but society wants to do wrong. Okay, Babylon is wanting me and enticing me to do wrong with all of its worldliness and lusts and deceitfulness and other gods. And I don't want to do what Babylon says. And so there should be this tension here. And so we want to learn what, what is, who is our God so that when I come to him, I can, I can pray this. I can come with great hope. I can come with this dot, dot, dot. To my God, who is this God that we pray to? And so today we're looking at we pray to a God who is just. We pray to a God who is just. And what does that do for us as Christians in our praying? Revelation 19, what we want to do today is we just want to walk through the verses that we read at the beginning, those first eight verses, and then we're going to give three applications and we're going to be done. We have a meal afterwards. Uh, So even if this is just completely horrible, we have something to look forward to at the end. So Revelation 19, John says, After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. The only times that we'll see the word Hallelujah in the New Testament, there's four times. Guess where they're located? Did you count them when we read these eight verses? All four are found in this chapter of Revelation 19. All four times in the New Testament that the word hallelujah is seen is here in chapter 19. Praise be to God. We just, just, John just saw what happened to Babylon, okay? By the grace of God, he is being put into this place where he's seeing visions of what will happen, okay? So John is living in his day and age and he's getting a chance to see what will happen. Okay, that's a great privilege. And he's being able to be shown, this is what's going to happen. I want you to write this down. Why? Because people like us are going to read it and we want to know what's going to happen. And so this is what God is saying. This is what will happen. All evil will be destroyed. And, and from heaven, a loud voice comes, hallelujah. Praise be to God. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are... True and just. 
you notice that the people in heaven are not crying out, yes, I was hoping he would go. Or, yes, finally, now I can breathe. Now I have relief. They're not at all saying, thank you, neener, neener, neener. There's nothing going on like that. What are they saying? Praise be to God, because your judgments are true and just. They are praising God that his character has remained true. That when he says and he promised all throughout scripture, this is what I will do for those who are my people. I will fight for you. Those who are not my people, those who disobey my words, I will not fight for you. I will give you the cup of my wrath. I will pour it out on you. And it comes true. So they are saying, praise Yahweh for your character being true. He has judged. And again, they proclaim, hallelujah, a second time. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. This is just an image of like a memorial. Forever and ever, the smoke will rise that there we can look and see God remained faithful to us. Praise God for that, that he is faithful. Christians, we're here in 2012 and we're hearing, we're reading what's going to happen. Our God will remain faithful and true. And although we sit in 2012 and we struggle because we know some people who are lost, that's a struggle. We know people who are in Babylon. We ourselves, some of us might be part of Babylon. I don't want to say Babylon, but non-Christians. That might be you. That might be someone you know, someone you love, someone in your house. And so that's the struggle. And that's the struggle for me. And all week has been was causing me great angst is because while we want to proclaim hallelujah be to God who does this because he's faithful and he's true. We also want to be very careful because what we're talking about is people who are dying. We don't in any way because the crowd in heaven never once is grateful that people are dying. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Do, do not mistake me. Do not hear something that is not being said. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He does not delight to do what is happening here. He does delight to keep his own glory. And he will fight that his name remains true. God is more. God will make sure that he remains true. And that he, his glory will not be marred eternally. So understand, this is the character of our God. Verse 4, and the 24 elders. We see more people joining in on this chorus. The 24 elders and four living creatures that are mentioned before in Revelation. They fall down and they worship God who is seated on the throne saying, Amen. This is true. Amen. This is true. What they are saying, this is true. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. And then from the throne comes a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. There is this chorus joining and each verse, another group of people comes in in this loud voice so that we come to verse six. And John, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. And he, he echoes, 
like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, all crying out. Hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints here. There is this mighty chorus of people singing to the praise of the glory of God for what has just happened, for his justice being made evident, for him meeting out judgment on the wicked, on non-believers, on those who are not the bride. We struggle with this idea of God being just because in our society we have Santa Claus. And Santa Claus has a list, just like we could say God has a list of those who are his and those who are not his. Santa Claus has a list, does he not? Who's on, what's the list that Santa Claus has? Come on. The naughty and the nice. And somehow, it's okay for Santa Claus to have a list of naughty and nice. The nice get what? Presence. The naughty get coal. Have you ever received coal? Don't raise your hands. There might be someone in here. I'd hate to embarrass anybody. Santa Claus has a list. But you know what? I have never heard anything that tells me like where Santa Claus, like where his line is. As a kid, I, I always knew Santa Claus was actually fake, and it was my mom and dad putting presents under the trees. Sorry if there's a spoiler alert. I should have given it like 30 seconds ago. Just kidding. Kids are like, oh no, Santa Claus is not real. I don't think there's anybody in here like that. But I never knew what, where the line was. Okay, could I, could I punch my brother? I mean, this is all facetious, right? Because he doesn't exist. But we don't know the line is. How many times before you cross the line with Santa until you're put on the naughty list? And, and what can you do then to be put back onto the nice list? But yet everybody in the world loves Santa Claus, although he is actually going to withhold presents from you if you don't do what he wants you to do. And, and the, the law is somewhat vague with Santa Claus. We still like, yeah, Santa! And we want presents from Santa. And Santa gives presents to everybody because none of us actually have ever received coal. So what do we have? We have a, we have a, a Santa Claus who gives gifts to everyone and who at the end of the day, his record or his list actually doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, everybody gets presents. Uh, this, is, this is the truth. And if my sister is listening, I'm sorry. But when I was a kid, I, I think I was probably like 10 or 11. My sister was going through a really rough time in those teenage years. She was about two years older than I was. And there was actually a time where my parents threatened to take away her presents for a time that she wouldn't get to open them on Christmas Day if she did something. And she did it. And they followed through. So Christmas morning, all of us, the three of us, uh, opened up our presents and our parents did as well. And my sister sat there and cried. And as a kind brother that I was, I sympathized and laughed. And then a couple days later, we all got to sit around as my sister, as the parents pulled the presents down from the attic in the extra hidden spot that none of us could find. And she opened her presents. And life was good and she was happy and she never knew that, you know, she didn't remember really probably what, that she had to wait a couple of days and it didn't matter a month later. And so... At the end of the day, she got presents, but she had disobeyed 
And she had done something that my parents told her exactly, you can't do this, and she did it. But she still got presents. And so that's what we want God to be like. We want God to be like, and, and people who are non-Christians, they want God to be like that as well. Okay, God might have a rule. He might have set up laws that you have to obey. But at the end of the day, I want God to be merciful. I want God to be love. Well, God is love, is he not? And so we want to come to passages and say, well, God is love. So this must be some amazing story that is crafted and there must be a hidden meaning or this can actually be true. Because God, I know God to be love. And some of you might have a, I know God to be this. And so God must be this. And so we read the Bible based on what you view and what you believe God to be. We don't take into account what God actually is and who he actually says he is in this word. And so here we have a God who has laid out clearly for all of us exactly what he wants us to do. He's given us 600 plus laws in the Old Testament of what you were supposed to do. Then he comes into the New Testament and he says, "I I want you just to believe have faith, which is a gift for me. I want you to have faith and believe. And I want you to love God and I want you to love your neighbor. This is going to boil it down for you. But God says, if you don't do this, if you don't believe, this is what's going to happen at the end of the day. And this will happen. And so John gets to see this vision of what will happen so that we today get to have a warning. If you knew that one week from now on your commute to work that a certain bridge would collapse. You would change your route that morning. And not only that, if you were the only one who knew that one week from today that bridge would collapse at a certain time in that morning commute, you would do everything you could to post signs and to tell everyone that you knew this is going to happen. And you wouldn't care what people thought of you. And you wouldn't care how you appeared. And if you got on the news, you would be pretty frantic. And you might appear crazy because people will say, well, how did you find out? Well, how do you know this? But if you were told this, you, you would do all that you could to make sure the word got out. And so here we have this message of this vision that John has received that, frankly, sometimes the book of Revelation can seem kind of crazy with all of these visions and all these dragons and things happening and horses coming in and they're different colors and just read it. And we get this vision that John has and says this whole host of heaven is going to worship God because this is actually going to happen. This, our God will remain true. His law will be enforced. And so we're in this period right now where we're in that one week before the bridge is going to collapse. And so as we as we wait, there's three things that I think we can take away as we think of a God who is just. And how that would change how we pray. And it will change how we pray if we genuinely believe that God is just. It will change how we pray. I think they'll change us in three ways. And and I would love to hear if God speaks through you and. Uh, through his word and gives you other applications that would be helpful for the body if you posted that on the city or on facebook or message someone that would be that would be extremely helpful even in bringing that up in community group 
But I think there's three ways in which we can pray as we think of and we, we believe that God is just and we, we see God enacting his justice. It'll change us and change the way we pray because we'll pray with a global perspective that God would save the lost. We might be praying that now, and we should be praying that now, but if we genuinely believe that God is going to do this, we should be praying with a global perspective that God would save the lost. And I only say global perspective because we'll understand that there's more people than in Hillsborough that need to be saved. And so we'll pray that God would begin saving people, that God would continue to save people all across, all across the globe. Because we know that here in this passage, as Revelation, at the end of Revelation, that this is their outcome. This is what will happen to those who are non-Christians. We must pray that God would save them. We must pray earnestly that God would send missionaries who can preach to them. That God would send Bible translators who can take their language or their whatever it is, the tones that they speak that might not even be a formal language. That God would use people to take those and translate the Bible for them. That God would be using missionaries who are already on the field that are preaching. That God would take their message and that he would make it fruitful in hearts. We would be praying that God would be doing this in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our church. We would be praying that God would save the person that filled your car with gas, that sold you a car, that rear-ended your car. We would be praying for dictators, praying for our president, for those who want to be president, praying for those who are bad presidents, praying for those who are treating their people wrongly, praying for those who are treating children wrongly. We'd be praying for these people that, not that, God, you would get them and they would get theirs. That never happens in Revelation 19. People are not asking, God, we want them to get theirs. God, would you avenge us? God, would you be true? In Revelation 6, let me turn there real fast, because earlier in the book of Revelation... You have these people who are crying out. This is all throughout Scripture. The Psalms are, is full of this, of people who are in distress, who are being persecuted, or as, as Anne read, uh, even a believer who is just in a perspective of, God, why is this person prospering, and I don't, I don't see this, and wanting to be changed in his thinking before we come into the sanctuary of God. And here it's uh, Revelation 6, verse 10, verse 9, we'll go up. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants, their fellow servants, their fellow brothers in Christ and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So rest a little longer until the full number of believers comes in. Rest a little longer. But, oh Lord God, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood? Holy and true. God, you are holy 
you are true. How long, O Lord, must we wait? We pray with a global perspective that God would save the lost because God is patient. We're thankful for that. God's been patient to you. God was patient to you in allowing you to be saved at the age you were saved at. Maybe some of you are saved later in life. God was patient to you. God was patient to send someone who loved you and proclaimed the gospel to you. God was patient to allow you to come to him. God was patient to maybe allow your parents to come to Christ who raised you in a home where the gospel was preached and the gospel was read and you became a Christian that way. God was patient. And so this might seem strange because we we pray and we we talk about come Lord Jesus. But we pray for the lost. And those two are not opposed to each other. The innocent can pray come Lord Jesus because the innocent are saying we want justice. God, come Lord Jesus. We stand innocent only by the blood of Christ. But we're ready. But we are desperately praying for those who are not. So I pray that as we think of a God who is just, we pray for those who are lost. 1 John, uh, the book, speaks much of the love of God. And in and, and part of 1 John, he's talking about this is, this, and this is love, 1 John 4. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for sins. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God has loved you. He has poured his love out on you. We ought to love one another. It's striking because God has poured out his justice already. That verse says that in this is love. You want to know love? You want to know what love is? Not that we have loved God. That's going to fail. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's a lot packed into that phrase, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's not being said here in his love. Okay, if God's telling us, I loved you and I sent my son for you. And so this love that I have given to you, now you should be loving others. And this, as we know, we have a God who is just and what will happen. And so we pray for those and we love them enough to pray for them and and act a little insane and a little urgent because we desperately want them to come to Christ. But there's a lot happening in this. I sent my son to be a propitiation for your sins. God poured out his cup of wrath on Jesus because of his love for you. That's salvation by judgment. That's salvation by judgment. God judged Jesus to save you. We were talking about this on, on Thursday night. And Chad said that, and at the time, I didn't necessarily agree with him. And, and I shook my head and acted like I did because I was like, that's a really deep statement. I think about that. But I totally agree with it now. You cannot fully, you cannot understand the love of God until you understand the justice of God. Until you understand that God is just. You cannot understand that God is love. God has to be just. God has to pour out judgment for God to actually be love. If God was Santa Claus and there's this, there's this record, but you don't know when he's going to enact it and when you might actually get the coal that year 
because it was a bad year for production and someone's got to get coal because they're short on toys. You're like, well, it fell on you this time. This is the first time it's ever happened, Santa. Sorry. You have a whimsical God. That's no God at all. You want a God who is loving, a God who is just. One who says, here's the standard and I guarantee I will keep it. I'll even give a vision to someone who by the Spirit will write this down so everyone can read. This is what will happen. Guaranteed. That's love. And that there's a standard. And that God says, I will hold you to this standard. Oh, but you can't keep the standard. And so I sent my only son to be a propitiation for your sins. Because there is absolutely no way you can keep the standard. So when we read verses like that in 1 John, and we're reading and we're like, oh, this is love. God sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So let's love one another. Let's think about what's going on here. And what kind of a God we have. Yeah, he's just. And that's hard to swallow sometimes. Because we understand like, what that means with people that we love and we know. But when God is just, man, think of the love that happened in his justice on Jesus for you and for me that we sang about. Your blood has washed away my sins, Jesus. Thank you. Anybody know the rest of that verse? The wrath of God completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. The wrath of God completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. For us, in His love, this is love. That's the kind of love that we are called to then have to others. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we pray with a global perspective that God would save the lost because we understand that God is just. God will be just. We also pray full of hope that God is true. God is said to be true in Revelation 6. And as they're crying out, Sovereign Lord, holy and true. The 24 elders and the four living creatures, they say to God that, Amen, Hallelujah, this is true. You will be praised for this. Salvation and glory and honor belong to our God for His judgments are true and just. God's character, He will be true to His character. He cannot change. Malachi 3, 5 and 6, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, for I, the Lord, do not change. God will remain true to his character. You see, if God promised to be just and he promised to exact wrath and vengeance on those who disobeyed and then he never went through with it, we would have a God who changes. There's a big word in theology called the immutability of God. You would have a God who is mutable. He mutates. He changes. We don't want a God who mutates. Because now we have Santa Claus with his list that we don't know when he's going to throw coal, when he's going to give presents. We don't want that. We want a God who is rock solid. 
And God says, I do not change. There might be some hard things. I will enact justice, but I do not change. Jesus, I enacted justice on him. To believe in him. This is love. You see all this is found in this idea of justice that's hard to swallow for non-Christians. But in this idea of justice is all of God's love swallowed up in the person of Jesus. So it's not as though God is enacting this standard with never offering any type of relief. We pray full of hope that God is true. How do you think that would change how you pray? When you're thinking about a loved one, when you're praying for those who are lost, we pray full of hope that God is true, that God is gracious, that he is merciful. You know what? God hasn't come yet. As far as I know, Jesus has not yet returned. If he has, we're all in a heap of trouble. I'm just telling you right now. But Jesus has not returned. There's still time. And there's still time to pray and plead. There's still time to beseech God for those who are not yet His. And I hope we do pray. How does it change how you pray when the circumstances in your life just we don't understand? God, can you just can you show us what to do, where to go, why you're doing this? We pray full of hope that God is true. That maybe maybe all things right now are just a quagmire of mess. But we know here, here comes the end. John, God, through the person of John, has given visions that by the Spirit He put into the Bible for us so that we can read that in Revelation 19, when that happens, we're all in one voice. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. In, in 2012, I didn't know what was going on. 2014, still didn't know. Jesus comes back. And I guarantee when we're hands raised in the air shouting hallelujah, we won't care about 2012 when we didn't know what was going on. All things have been made right. Folks, this is not the end. This right here is not the end. For us that are in Christ, there is no end. So we pray with a global perspective that God would save the lost. We pray full of hope because God is true, will always be true. He does not change. And thirdly, we pray that we would persevere to the end. We pray that we would persevere to the end. There's a lot of uh, athletic imagery that Paul writes in the New Testament. He gives a lot of athlete imagery, but he also gives a lot of like wartime farmer mentality. If you think of like the most faithful person in the world, it's a farmer. So what? What are these images all for? Put on the armor. Fight. Get your shoes on and run. Get on the tractor and plow. Do it. Keep going. Don't stop. Because you know what? This Revelation 19, may it not be said of you that you perish with Babylon. Let me say all that to say, because that's somewhat strange to hear. Do not perish with Babylon. I don't know what that means. Do not perish with the world. Do not let the world entice you and pull you away. Persevere to the end. We pray that we would persevere to the end. And, and while we're praying, 
all of these, there's action that no doubt will take place. So while our prayers are changed because we understand a God who is just, that might be hard to swallow sometimes, but we understand that God is just and we want to know more about God, you will be just. Can you, can you show me how that affects me now? Okay, I want to pray for the lost. I want to pray that I persevere to the end. Uh, what does that mean? I want to pray that my husband does as well. I want to pray that my children do. I want to be a family that we as a family, we persevere, we fight, we act. We want to be a church that does that. We want to be a church that helps one another do that. So if I see Brian starting to stop on that tractor, I'm going to hop on and I'm going to push the throttle. Don't stop. We urge one another because we know it's coming. This is not a fear tactic of, well, we just want to get insurance from what's going to happen. This is a, our God, he will do this. This is his character. We want to trust in this God who will remain true because we don't desire any of this. We desire to be with Jesus. It's not that we're getting insurance from that. We want to get closer to this. We want to get closer to the light so we're nowhere near the darkness. So there's actions that no doubt will happen when we are praying for these things. If you continue praying, let me just warn you now. If you continue praying with a global perspective that people would be saved, watch out where you end up. You keep praying, God, there's this, there's this tribe I keep hearing about. I keep reading in blogs and the newspaper or, or uh, Christian newsletters. Let me put it that way. I don't think it's going to be in the Oregonian. But Christian newsletters that this tribe has never heard the gospel God, would you please send someone? Would you please send someone? Would you please send someone? God, are you sending me? See how that's going to change? See how that might change? Now some of you won't pray that because you don't want to go to the tribes in the Kong. I'm just kidding. But as we pray that things will happen as, as we continue to be praying, and that's, that's the grace of God working through those prayers and answering those prayers because several weeks ago, I, I think it was Chad that said, you might be the answer to somebody else's prayer or something like that. So let's be praying for that. Let us, let us thank God that we have a God who is just. Let us thank God that this just God enacted justice on His Son out of grace for all of us. And that this just God made this grace known to us that are sitting here today so that we come and when we sing songs like this, our hearts are, our hearts are rejoicing. When we read passages like this, they're not heavy for us or for those that we love here, maybe. But they're heavy for others. And that is a gift of grace. That there is a weight. That there is a weight of, God, I desire this person to know you. I desire you to be in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. God, we desire you to be seen as true. We desire your glory to be made much of. Please let that happen and be seen in my persevering to the end. So let's pray to a God now who is just. God, our Father, we thank you that we can come and that we can study your word together. And that God, even in some passages like this, um, and in books like this, <clears throat> sometimes it, it's, it's hard to understand. And sometimes we, we struggle with, God, what are you doing or, or why? How do I explain this to, to other people? But God, I pray that we, we, as we learn more of your just nature, that you will be just. You are a are a judge who requires obedience. 
God, help us in that same breath to know that we, we can't do that. We need a Savior. And so there might be some in here, God, who have never, never called on you as their Savior. God, some here who, who in the hear of the just nature of God, that God will enact justice on those who are apart from Him, those who He will reward their deeds that have been done that were not for Him. That God, they might, they might be desiring to cling to a Savior who the wrath was poured on so that we can stand now in righteousness before You. God, I pray if there's anyone here that has heard that has heard that there is hope, that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who took all of our sins on Himself on the cross, so that if we are found in Him by faith, if we believe that He has done this, if we put our hope and trust in Him and call on Him as our Lord and Savior, that God, You are faithful and You will save us and You would more than happily draw us into Your family. God, we pray for those right now that, that may be um, apart from You and desiring to do that. God, we pray that You would continue to draw them and draw them to Yourself. That Your work would be done and that God would be able to rejoice in seeing fruit and hearing of the testimony of what You're doing in people's lives. God, would You do that even now? And God, we pray that You would help us to be faithful to persevere to the end, to run the race that You have set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God, that we would persevere, and as we are, that we would warn everyone we can. We pray for those who are lost, because we know we serve a God who is true. God, You've been so faithful to us to bring us here, to allow us to hear Your Word, to give us the Scriptures through the Spirit. God, we thank You for that. Be with us now as we continue to sing, as we continue to reflect, and then even later as we enjoy food together with one another. Bless our conversation. Bless our fellowship. God, be with us even now as we continue to worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.